0: Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Center for Stem Cells and Regenerative
1: Medicine at King's College, London. Hello, this is Stem Cells at Lunch, and my name is Yava. I'm a PhD student here at the Center for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine. And today I'm talking to James Briscoe, a professor at the Crick Institute. Uh, so hi, James. Hi. 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 So, yeah, I was just wondering if you could kind of describe in lay terms, what is the, the really the scientific question that has been driving your research so far?
0: So I'm, I'm really a developmental biologist. So I, I'm really fascinated by understanding how embryos develop before birth. So how tissues are constructed in embryos, how you make the different types of cells which comprise a tissue, how those are organized and begin to function in a coherent way. So these are really fundamental questions about how multicellular animals, multicellular organisms more generally uh, are generated or produced.
1: Yes, I understand that your focus is more on the, on the neural side, right? On the brain and the spinal cord. So how come spinal cord? And are they very different from the brain? Would you say that the findings in spinal cord can easily translate into the brain?
0: Yes, yes, I would. So we've really focused over the last 20 years or more on understanding the embryonic development of the spinal cord. So as you said, the spinal cord is part of the vertebrate central nervous system. It's continuous with the brain and actually the way it's organized is very similar to the rest of the brain, but it's simpler. So it's easier to understand and it's also more experimentally accessible so it's easier to dissect it's easier to look at the spinal cord than other regions of the brain but the things that we learn in the spinal cord are also relevant to other regions of the brain so we can look at general principles as well as the specifics of the spinal cord but it's not i would say the spinal cord is interesting in its own right of course it contains the the neurons and nerve cells will allow us to coordinate our our movement. So it allows us to move muscles, to respond to our environment. And it's also where a lot of our sensory information first enters the central nervous system. So sensory uh, nerves, sensory neurons in the periphery. So uh, touch, heat, pain in your skin, all of that information first comes into the spinal cord and that information is processed in your spinal cord before you become conscious of it, before it's sent up into the brain uh, for further uh, processing. So it's an interesting part of the nervous system in its own right, but it also serves as a, a model where we can learn some general principles principles about the rest of the nervous system and indeed about other tissues as well.
1: Yeah, so it seems as important as the brain is not left. Absolutely. So James, kind of uh, digging maybe into your older research times. I wonder if you have some sort of the most inspiring finding you had maybe during your PhD postdoc or early time or maybe it's the most recent one.
0: Yeah one of the pleasures of doing research is that you you're always thinking about the next set of experiments and most recent findings. So the let me I mean a couple of things that have exciting me at the moment. Um, so one of the things that often drives Biological research is new techniques, new technology. And at the moment, the field is really being revolutionized by single cell technologies. So these are new techniques that allow us to um, measure the activity of genes in individual cells. And that gives us a new resolution, a a really refined um, insight into gene activity in individual cells that we've never been able to, we've never really reached that level uh, of resolution before. And that's that's revealing all sort of things that we hadn't thought about before. Um, uh, they're allowing us to look more closely at, at these 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 questions. So that's from a technology point of view. From sort of a a more sort of intellectual or conceptual side, one of the things that's fascinating fascinating me at the moment is understanding where time comes from in in development. So if you think about the embryonic development of of any species, so whether it's human or mouse or um, uh, any any animal, it takes a certain period of time. So, you know, so mouse development from conception to birth takes 20 days, so 19 days, 20 days on average. Whereas, of course, the human development, pregnancy takes nine months. And indeed, even if we only look at the same period of time that's equivalent between mouse and human, it takes about 60 days in human, whereas only 20 days in mouse so where does that difference in time come from what is what's creating that 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 tempo of development and how is that differing between species so that at the moment is one of the questions that's really fascinating me i don't have answers to it yet but we're certainly trying to to understand that that better
1: Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that this will be quite translational to, you know, the whole embryo, the whole body development, not just the, the brain, right?
0: That, that, absolutely, that's, that's right. And indeed, um, so, so friends and colleagues that are working on this in, in other tissues are also seeing a similar difference in the tempo if we look at um, other tissues that make other parts of the body. So, yeah, there's something global going on there and we really don't understand the basis of this yet.
1: So once we do figure out, what do you think we could apply
0: this for? Well, so I think, so I think there are applications, but first of all, I think this is fundamentally interesting. So I think understanding the basis of developmental tempo will tell us something quite important about um, how uh, tissues, how animals develop. And I think it's also interesting from an evolutionary standpoint. So as I said, different species develop at different rates and that, difference in developmental tempo um, has consequences for the differences between species. So, for example, um, the brain of primates and of humans uh, takes a longer time to develop, becomes larger, has more cells than than rodents, than, than mice. So these differences in tempo have consequences for the evolution of species. But I also do think it has sort of more immediate practical applications. So if we understood better about what controls the tempo, of development, it's possible that we would be able to manipulate that, and that would be useful in the application of stem cells, for example. So whether you're generating stem cells for research purposes or potentially for therapeutic purposes, being able to control um, how long and how rapidly you can, it would take to make particular cell types has, has potential applications.
1: Yeah, that, that would be great for me, working with stem cells as well. <laughs> So thank you very much, James, for talking to us
0: today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure.
1: This was Samson Goodluck. Thanks for listening.